0: Welcome back to another episode of the Care to Listen podcast. In this episode, I'm joined by Squamish Nation Elder Florence Williams, who dives into her more than a quarter of a century long experience as a medical assistant. Through storytelling, Flo offers and shares her teachings and wisdoms to help support the next generation of healthcare workers. Today's episode is being broadcasted to you on the unceded and traditional territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and tsleil Nations. Trigger warning. This podcast discusses topics that may be triggering for some viewers, including loss of a patient and miscarriage. I'm just so grateful that we have such another great guest today, uh, Florence Williams, who I will not do, I would do a disservice by trying to do an introduction rather than asking for you to do your introduction. But before we do that, I have to share a quick personal story because, and I don't know if you remember this, it was... I think second or third time we had a call, we were right in the middle of a conversation and all of a sudden, Flo just, she stops and it's quiet on the phone for for a few seconds. And I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, did I say something? And Flo literally just stops and she's like, Sean, Steve, whatever your name is, who are you and where are you from? And I'm just sitting there being like, ah, uh, oh shit, is this a trick question? Like, I'm, I'm Sean, I'm the CEO of Checking In. This is what I do, and I'm like, is that that's who I am, right, right, Flo? And, and I remember you on that call being like, no, I didn't ask what you do. I said, who are you, and where are you from? And that, you know, started off and kicked off a conversation that has been instrumental in my life, in my kid's life, in. Everyone else who I'm connecting with, understanding identity. And I think it's something that you really helped to instill in me. So instead of me, now I get to flip the tables and I get to say, Flo, who are you and where are you from? Okay, my name is Jane Fonda. And I was born <laughs> in like me, Actually, in the lake, where My mother was
1: probably weird. Uh, my name is Othiel Simot, and on my driver's license, it says Gladys Florence Williams. I will answer to both. I am the daughter of Cuscadia, who is the daughter of Eva Wood, who is the daughter of Helen Hammett, and I could go back six or seven generations. I know these women. I have not met them in person, but I know them. And I was born in Shinenaymoh, and formative years were in several places due to some medical issues my mother dealt with, but I grew up in Shinenaymoh, and as I became an adult and had some freedom, I ran away from my family, and I went down to Washington, got an education, raised a family down there, and was a certified medical assistant for 27 years after I raised my family. And it was in 2013 when Spirit, if I told you that story, it would be hard to believe, but Spirit was involved in making it so that I actually had to come home. And my youngest brother Jamie had said to me that over that previous August, sis, please come home. We need you. But I've been running I've been running from the responsibilities of the family and my role. And I just kinda of grinned and said, Sure something, I'll come. But I didn't mean it. And then it was in October. Actually the date that I came home was October thirty first, two thousand and thirteen. And the everything that happened to get me home is amazing. But now that I am home, I it took me five years to adjust from being living in the United States to living in Canada. I mean, the metric system is I still don't know it. But um, it wasn't until my sister Samaya did the videos on who are we with regard to Swamish and had people on there talking about How Squamish Became the Squamish Nation, and then did different individuals coming on with their teachings. And I had been doing some work with my therapist. I still had a therapist that I was working with. And I had made peace with my father,
0: and
1: I was able to say, I am Squamish but that was three years ago. So in the last, it's been in the last three years that I can honestly say that I am proud to be Squamish and I feel like I'm home. And I don't feel like I'm an iron girl anymore. I don't feel like I need to be down in the United States. I am home, but it took a lot of therapy. And then my sister putting in front of me all of these talented, wise Squamish members that were talking about their individual gifts. And it, I actually said, Squamish. I looked at my sister and I said, i Squamish. She said, uh, yeah, I know that. <laughs> so then I clarified it. And I thanked her for doing what she's doing. And I have heard that story from other people. Squamish members that live in North Carolina, in New York, in Oregon, in Washington, that by being on this video conference, Zoom call, and hearing about how Squamish became became Squamish and all the different people with their individual gifts and what Squamish members people have done, that they have finally able to say, with pride, I'm Squamish. So when I say that I that I have my name, I have been named. Spirit world knows who I am and who my mother is, and my grandmother and my great grandmother. And I used to be feel more at home in of, but that has changed. Uh, this is home now, and so. When I say that I am in Squamish, I say that this is home. That's why when I asked you, who are you and where do you come from? There is an area, there's a place that you feel at home. And that is a gift that everybody should be able to find, to be able to say, I am so and so, so and so, so and so, and my ancestors are from the nation of Scotland or Ireland or Africa or you know where they're from. And but this is where I live now. This is where I am now, and this is home. If they can say that, then they're planted. They have roots. They are grounded. They are able to be who they are. They are able to give the best that they have to the people in their universe. Like you're in my universe now. And can't get
0: you out. (laughs) Whether you like it or not. But that is such a powerful teaching. I mean, seeing and asking that question to youth and seeing sometimes that hesitation. Myself. You know, here's somebody who I feel like I understand who I am, but to articulate that when you ask that question, you know, I, I usually have a lot to say, but I had nothing to say and being challenged to go and have those conversations with my mom and dad to understand, you know, where my ancestry comes from and to be able to then place myself in this world has helped to give that sense of confidence to know, okay, this is who I am. I'm the son of Denise Burke and Terry Burke. And to go back to those, you know, the grandparents and the great grandparents. And it's, it's definitely changed my world. And, you know, I think also to hearing you say that being somebody who is non-Indigenous, to be able to, share that teaching with you, and to be able to to acknowledge where I'm from and to be proud of that, it doesn't matter whether or not you're Indigenous or non-Indigenous. Yes,
1: that's exactly the truth.
0: And you've helped me to discover yes. that.
1: Yes, and I was taught that at the age of seven by my grandmother, and I didn't fully understand what she was saying to me until I turned 50. And one morning I woke up with, holy crap, I get it, Granny. I said, thank you. You know, and she knew, and I know she knew that she was preparing me for this longer life that I was going to be living. And um, she did a really good job. So I have. that example so as grandma i'm trying to do that for my granddaughters yeah powerful Mm -hmm. simple but powerful it's not complicated you know when you think about it a wellness plan part of it could be making sure that you get your nails done you pluck your eyebrows or get the wax, get your hair trimmed, iron your uniform, or if you get it from the hospital, to not worry about that too much, but have good shoes on that your feet are not going to hurt. And then when you have all of this emotion from an episode that you were a part of, and you need to get rid of it, if you can't sit down on the floor and cry right there, then tell yourself okay later I'm going to the lake and I'm screaming I'm going to put it someplace Hmm. and that self care you know you you're in a race and and it's muddy and you have mud on your feet and your face you know you're going to go wash your face off self care you have a headache take Tylenol self care it's not It's not. It really is not complicated. You have to just think about yourself and how do you get yourself back to balance. How do you do that? What do you need? Put yourself first. Once you get back to balance, then you're ready to be whatever it is that you have to be during your workday. Yeah, but I'm very passionate about wellness plans. I feel anybody that's a frontline worker needs to have it. And if they don't have it in place, they need to get it in place ASAP. Otherwise the burnout rate is
0: is gonna be high for them. Well, let's talk about wellness plan. So when we talk about, you know, wellness holistically we talk about physical, spiritual, mental, emotional. I know that those are, you know, from a prairie perspective, the medicine we'll approach. But when we talk about the aspects being, you know, part of the whole individual, how do you create a wellness plan that is reflective of all aspects of your life?
1: Well, I've checked in with myself. How am I doing? If I'm not doing good, okay, what's not good? Is it my mental? Is it my physical? Is it my emotional? And it's usually emotional. And um, and sometimes I feel, okay, you shouldn't have laid there and watched 12 hours of
0: Netflix. Why do you think the, the systems, the structures that are in place, tend to push healthcare workers to efficiency? productivity, um, onto the next patient, maybe suppress or don't give those feelings, the release that we're talking about here.
1: Shortage of workers and the population is growing. It's not shrinking even with COVID, even though there were a million or however many people that died in the United States. I don't know how many died in Canada. But the population is growing and there is not enough doctors and nurses and MOAs and caregivers to maintain the population. So a manager is going to have a group of people that they manage and they're going to have just so many patients or whatever it is and they're going to just look at productivity at numbers. And unless that manager goes out onto the floor to see exactly what their people are doing, they're not going to know. They're going to be looking at numbers. And that is not a way to manage human beings. You need to get out there. You need to get your hands dirty. You need to see what your people are working with, having to deal with, and see if if there is a shortage in. You know, medications, bandages, supplies, whatever it is that you're using to make sure that they have what they need to be able to do the job that you're asking them to do. And if they have the correct, you know, uh, techie stuff. And if they need a phone, you know, if it's a big hospital, maybe they need a phone so that if you need to speak to them right away, you can just call them. And they'll hit a button or something and be able to communicate that way. Whatever it is that they need to do the job that you're asking them of. And then when they, when employees state, I'm exhausted because we don't have enough cleaners to come and flip the rooms. And I have to flip them. How can I be doing that when I've got bells ringing with patients asking for what, you know, the comforts that they need? So please get me more housekeepers or get me more whatever it is that you need to be able to do your job. And I was very fortunate that when I was working in the different clinics that I worked in, That day, my manager would always say to me, do you have everything that you need? And she would, the last clinic I worked in, she would come out and bring patients back to see how it flowed and noticed that it would be nice if we had at least five minutes added between each patient to be able to flip that room, have it ready, and everybody is calm. And she made that happen. So managers have a big responsibility and they need to actually trust their employees and listen to them.
0: So what do you think from your perspective? We have talked a little earlier about gifts. And, you know, although, you know, the person who, who thinks that maybe they want to talk about their gifts, that's not in fact their gift. But you know, me asking and inviting the conversation to you. What do you believe your gift is? I'm a real empath and
1: I'm a problem solver. Um and I have a little bit of knowledge about a lot of topics and what I enjoy, I have a lot of knowledge about. So I will research and research. So I will go that extra. So what I know, I really know.
0: Hmm. And
1: I can tell a person, you know, more than just the average information about a topic. But when you talk other gifts, like spiritual gifts, those develop slowly and I thought everybody could see what I saw. And when I said to my sister when we were younger, um, it's Sister Phil. I said, did you see that? She went, what? I said, where did She see? She said, see, there's nothing there. I went, oh, okay. I realized she couldn't see what I saw. So one of my gifts is I can see into the spiritual world when they let me. And I know things before they happened or when they've happened. The last clinic I was working at, when I brought the woman back for her 20-week ultrasound, I was a perinatology clinic, and I knew that the baby was dead. And I didn't, you know, my voice didn't change. Nothing I said changed. Did everything I needed to do with her. Got her ready for her ultrasound. And I stepped out and I went and got that sonographer. And I said, okay, we're ready. So we go back in there and she does the ultrasound and sees there's no heartbeat and baby isn't moving. And And she says, okay, the doctor will be in in just a few minutes. We don't say anything. And we step out. I didn't say anything. Dr. Wendy, you know, we went and he was watching on the screen. And so he knew that the baby was gone. Mm -hmm. So he'd go in there and he or she and would say, I am so sorry. And say, this happens more times than, than you know you know, and try and support her, and then step out and leave the patient to me. And um, that happened three times in one week. And on the third time, (laughs) I knew. And we stepped out, and Joy looked at me, and she went, you knew. I said, what? She said, you knew. What? She said, You knew the baby was dead. I've noticed that when the when that happens, you have a very calm, stoic way of being. She said, You don't look one way or the other. You just come in and we leave and you go, you know, almost robotic. I went
0: Oh
1: She said, Yes, you have a towel. She said, You knew. I said, Yes, I did. She said, Will you tell me the next time I
0: win? <laughs> can you give me the heads up? <laughs>
1: so that's when I found out that I had that gift. Mm. And I can tell when a woman's pregnant, whether she tells me or not. Yeah, I know I have that one as well. So what that what that gift is actually is maybe just a knowing prior.
0: Mm.
1: You know. Until it's proven.
0: Mhm. Yeah. We talked about this previously, not your squalwin but your Xiaowin. Mm-hmm. W- would that be part of like your Siawin? No? So that's different. Mm-hmm. It's just I was born with this. Mm. All
1: the women in my family have these gifts, but they're getting weaker in my generation. I think um, my one sister can hear and know but she can't see. And um, the other sister, can. she knows. She just knows. She can't see. She can't hear any messages. She just knows here. In my mother's generation, all of the women had these gifts and more. And in my grandmother's generation. She was an extremely stronger. She could actually work with spirit. Like, you don't feel well, you pick something up, come see my grandma, she put her hands on you, and she could feel when there was a bad spirit there, or something else going on, and she could take it off. Wow. I know you would know nothing about that. Most Native people know, you know, that you sometimes literally have to have somebody check you out to make sure that you haven't picked up anything in your travels. Hmm. Yeah. It's common knowledge. Yeah.
0: Why do you think it's becoming less and less passed down through generations?
1: You know, I've thought about it and uh, I had an auntie say to me that it was very common for people to be able to communicate and get messages that when you say something, it's gone, right? Right away. And if that person is, you know, uh, able to, will feel like if you want to say, say I'm thinking about you, really, I'm going to give you a call. And I, oh, yeah, okay, I'm going to get this done first. I'm going to give Sean... No, actually, it's Steve today. I'm going to give Steve a call. (laughs) And I'm thinking about it, and then you get the message. You get the urge to call me. Next thing you know, you're not doing too much, and you pick up the phone and call me. That used to be normal with everybody. No telephones, but they would know to go see that person. Hmm. My aunt told me that there is too many radio waves and things out in the atmosphere that is interrupting those messages.
0: Hmm. How does different love languages come up or show up in the healthcare world?
1: Well, most um, nurses that I have uh, communicated with in any way are empaths. And... um, that's why they're good because they can sit down and they genuinely want to know how the patient is feeling or doing and um if you come across a native man and you know the diagnosis, you know the plan care plan you know what the expected outcome is going to be then Knowing that you're going to be able to say, Oh, hi, Mr. Tom, how are you today? Mm. Okay, he's not feeling that great. Um, or he'll say, Oh, good today. That means he really is feeling good. Hmm. And don't expect him to elaborate on that unless you ask a pointed question and say, I really need to know what your pain level is. Or I really need to know how much urine output you have. You know, if these are things that are important, then he needs to understand that they're not just doing it just to do it, but it's giving a little bit of information with regard to whatever he's doing. Yeah. And the other thing is with Native men and Native women, Do not start calling them by their given name immediately unless you're asked to. Give them the respect of Mr. So-and-so or Mrs. So-and-so and and you'll get more of a positive response. Yeah, so it's just knowing that there are certain ways that people can be approached and with regard to When I was working in the clinics, I found that if I had an Asian patient that I I was not offended if they never looked up at me because, you know, it can, in their mind, it's disrespectful to do that. And so I wouldn't expect them, like if they're facing this way and I'm over here, I would let them do that because I know that, for them to be comfortable, that's the way they need to be. Unless I say, okay, I'm going to have you turn around because I want to see the way that you're breathing, you know, what your chest is looking like. Then you're giving them a reason. But it's knowing your audience, who you're talking to, and respecting the way that is the most comfortable for them. But empaths, I think, automatically figure that out. So if you've been a nurse or a caregiver for 20 years, you're just automatically going to read, you know, the staff, the patient, the family.
0: I want to bring us back to a a conversation that you shared with me earlier. And it was around how to, what information to collect from your patients in terms of helping you as the healthcare practitioner versus you know, other information that may be harmful. And I'm curious from your perspective, well, what that looks like. Okay. um,
1: I'm coming in to see you and I hate to say this, but you're there for a vasectomy. And I worked in a... <laughs> <laughs> I worked where we did vasectomies and I had to hold this guy's hand. Oh, let me tell you, this story is hilarious. Here we go. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we had a new doc on, and this was his first vasectomy that he was doing in clinic. And normally, you know, I get vitals, get patient prep, and prepare the tray. And I stay in the room, either for support for the patient, or make sure I grab whatever the doc needs in case, you know. And they usually put music on and they say to the patient, you know, is there any special music you want? And this patient, he wanted Elvis. So we're listening (laughs) to Elvis. And it's a good thing because I know Elvis. I love Elvis. And so we're talking, you know, so I bet you your wife's really happy. She doesn't have to go through this. And he said, Yeah, we flipped a coin and I lost. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and so, how many children do you have? And so he's telling me about his three girls. He says, And my wife says, No, we're not trying for the fourth, you know, because he won in the four.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I said, Wow, you gave that up, you know. And I'm, by this time, he should have found that second best difference. And I'm looking at the dock, and he's got this weird look on his face and he's Oh yeah, did you ever see uh you've ever been to Graceland? You really like Elvis? No, but I really want to go there and I said, Yeah, that's on my bucket list too, you know, and we talked about the bluebies and looking at the dock, and this guy's hand squeezing my hand and I'm thinking, Okay, I don't know what else to say about Elvis you so are looking at the doc, right? And then someone knocks on the door and says, Um, can we help? And he says, Hi, just about done. And finally he looks up at the patient and he says, Do you know whether or not you have two vast deference? You know. Hmm? <laughs> and the patient says, Oh no, I was born with only one Oh, <laughs> 20 minutes, 20 minutes, his dog is searching for that second best difference. So ask, do you have two? <laughs>
0: anyway,
1: I'd ask you, do you have two best?
0: <laughs> and I would say yes.
1: Yay. <laughs> so. Did you need an Ativan or did they give you one before you came in, you know, for your nerves? I know that you're kind of nervous Um, when you came in to talk to the doctor about it. You were sweating. Mm -hmm. Are you okay?
0: Yep, I'm okay. I don't need water. you okay? No, yep, good to go.
1: All right, good. Go in there, give you your gown, and I'll be back in to assist with the doctor. So that's basically all I need to know about you
0: hmm. in that setting. And if we reverse the role play, what would be the negative or harmful things to ask? You had any STDs, you have warts. <laughs>
1: <laughs> 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 that's not anything around of a me. Hmm. You know, um, that would be wrong to even break up and uh asking you if there was any recreational drug use or anything wouldn't have any effect on the procedure that happened right. So don't delve into any other part of your life other than just basically you had your questions answered i know that you were nervous can i do anything with regard to that you know and if your vital signs are normal then there's no nothing else for me to say or ask you about. Hmm. You know?
0: And I think part of that is coming back to this conversation where, you know, you mentioned that when you were training different other healthcare professionals going through, going through their school, a question that came up quite often was something around the lines of, you know, what is your race? What is your ethnicity? And you know, is that an important question to ask when you're dealing with your patients? I
1: don't feel that race is anything that needs to come into the conversation unless you're delving into a complete physical. Hmm. Um, because then you're going to ask, okay, uh, did your mother or any of your other female relatives? first degree female relatives have breast cancer you know um did they have cardiac issues you know you're going to ask about these hereditary illnesses and then i believe you would want to put on there what the race is uh first nations female um Caucasian female, uh, Asian descent, you know, but only in a physical would you actually delve into any, and if you're going to go into it any time before that, then I feel that's abusive. Hmm. Unless the patient says, by the way, I am half this and half that. And... I just wanted you to know that I'm not just Caucasian. Patients, you do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But would you ask a person you just met what their shoe size was?
0: <laughs> no, there's no need for it. No. And I think that's coming back to the, you know, the point, the teaching around. It's human, right? The, what, what, what we need to first recognize is that race doesn't matter. The first thing that matters is the, the human in front of you. The
1: human that it may be in distress or may have an underlying symptom that can cause mental stress. That's it. Why would you want to know what the shoe size was? You know, whenever it's female, what's her bra size? You know, you don't need to know that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, and when I was out at BCIT with the first year nursing students, and they asked me that question, I said, "You know, all you need to know is I'm a human being and I have these symptoms, and what the." teacher, the instructor has clarified with me, is that they're getting this information about needing to know who Indigenous people are, who the First Nations people are, and to treat them with respect. And it's important, you know, it's being pushed on us, pushed on us. And we need to know how it is with regard to reconciliation, how it is that we have to say, I'm sorry. I said, the best way to say, I'm sorry, is treat them like an adult and and a human being. Because they, they put us into child brackets is another thing that I've experienced. But if you treat them an in Indigenous patient in front of you as a human being, how your grandmother or your auntie or your uncle or your sister or brother would like to be treated, or yourself, then, hey, you're ahead of the game.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, let's let's shift the conversation a little bit because I'd love to hear a bit more of your personal experiences. Um, and being an Indigenous female working in the healthcare system what were some of the challenges that you had to overcome?
1: I actually didn't have any race issues whatsoever. Hmm. Um, and I believe it's because of the personality I have and the confidence that my grandmother instilled in me from a very young age that people didn't see a Native woman from the Reds because I didn't act like. You know, um, I wondered about that, and I asked my manager, the last one, she said, I don't see a Native woman until somebody mentions it. She said, I see, whoa. And I really, really appreciated that, you know, so... Because of who I am and the way I present, I believe is why I've never received any racist comments or slurs or anything. So I don't know how to answer that.
0: I think you just did. Okay. <laughs> what about frameworks? Um, have you seen any like holistic frameworks or approaches um, that has have served um, any of the different colleagues that you've worked with in terms of holistic healing? Or being able to deal with some of that vicarious trauma that being a healthcare worker might have inflicted on them in working with their patients?
1: Well, uh, ba- my basic message is uh, you first take care of you and the example of you have a headache, you take a Tylenol. You know, your face is dirty, you wash it. So basically, if you're feeling these emotions, go scream. Go call your therapist. You know. Uh, But do something with it. Don't let it just sit there. And I feel that if they, and I have found, now that I'm really thinking about it, All of the nurses, medical assistants that I have intersected with that had low self-esteem were unable to do self-care. And they were the ones that would have the excessive alcohol or just some days can't come. So self-esteem played into how well a person took care of themselves. It's looking back, that's what I'm seeing. Mm-hmm.
0: So let's talk about walking alongside somebody rather than doing the walking for them. What does that mean?
1: Mm. I do that with my clients now. And I would do it with the patients. Like I worked at one clinic for seven years and it was the one where the patient died. Uh, mind you, I had other patients have heart attacks and died after that, but I will remember her forever. But um, you have, you get to know your patients. They come to see the doctor that you're supporting. You get to know them, who their husband is, who their children are, who their neighbors are, because throughout the different little meetings that you have, you know, they'll talk about whatever is on their mind, on their heart, or bothering them. And I know that there was one patient And she did not want to do the chemotherapy. She wanted to have quality of life until she died, not the sick and, you know, what she had read and what she had seen somebody go through. She said, I will not put myself through that. I want to be able to be coherent and enjoy my life until it's done, so she refused. And what you do is you support her, because she had the right to make that choice. Not everybody who has a cancer diagnosis is going to have chemo, because that's a hard road from what I've seen. And I like the idea that human beings have the right to say no. And just because they say no doesn't mean you have to go, okay, done, no. You walk with them. You support them. You know, and then as they start to get sicker and sicker and need more and more medications, you know, you give them the time. You give them the support until they're done. So, that's where you don't put the way what you would do in the picture. You have to think about like, I would have to think about you. Say, you're saying you've got prostate cancer. You don't want to go through all of that. You don't want to wear diapers, blah, blah, blah. And then we say, okay, we'll get you through it. And as the, the disease progresses and you get weaker and the pain gets stronger and we're giving you harder and harder, narcotics to cover it, and you go into hospice, I'd still come and visit you and I would not even think what the hell is he doing He's stupid. He's stupid you don't do that you meet the patient where they are and you walk with them where they are if they want you to,
0: hmm.
1: if they want you to.
0: what are you most proud of in your life
1: In which part of my
0: life? I don't know. What's coming to you right now? Um, I'm a strong
1: female with a voice. I, I have been a decent mother, not the best, but I did the best I could do. I have raised two strong individuals. Granted, the DNA, I think, had something to do with it, too. You have hmm. to have that DNA to work with, to mold, you know. Um as a damn good nurse. was very committed to my patients and got to know each doctor that I worked with, how best to work with them, how best to be the best assistant for them. And I've been a good friend. Yeah, I'm I'm a good friend. When I'm a friend, I'm a friend. So, I believe that in the big picture, even with some rocky roads um, and poor decisions, I wouldn't change anything because if I did, I wouldn't be so feels to not sitting here in front of you. And I believe that looking back, on, I can't change anything, but I can use that to assist wherever, you know, the subject, topic, person pops up, you know, um, contribute. So, I believe that I'm a good contributor if I know what the topic is and if I'm given
0: the space to contribute. Well, I can say from my perspective, I am so grateful to have connected with you, um, to be building and walking along this journey with you and alongside you. And everything that I continue to learn and unlearn um, has been part of the conversation and part of our mutual um, bridges intersecting. And yeah, and so I, I'm I'm really grateful to have you on the show today. Um, you know, I think as we continue to do this work together, um, it's an honor to walk alongside you. So, haichkasiem chinquanwontomi, and uh, thank you very much. Uh, thank
1: you for asking me. The fact that anybody would even want to know what I had to say is—it's it's an honor.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode. Be sure to visit the links in the show notes for resources and supports from the Care for Caregivers program. If you're interested in sharing your story on the Care to Listen podcast, please reach out to us at careforcaregivers.ca forward podcasts. And don't forget to follow us on your favorite podcast platform to be notified when new episodes are released. Thanks again for joining us and see you next month.